Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. As promised, I'm going to talk about the U.S. men's national team, how it is performing in the World Cup, and what we're learning about the players who are participating. And there's a lot to talk about after watching the first three games in group play versus New Zealand, Greece, and Jordan. Now, for full disclosure, I didn't watch all of the Jordan game. I watched about a half. But once they came out, Team USA that is, and played with a dominance that I fully expected and that we didn't necessarily see versus New Zealand and Greece, at least not at the start, I had seen enough. I should start by saying I love the composition of this team. It is predominantly younger NBA players and putting together role players with generally high basketball IQs was clearly an emphasis, if not a priority. Even the players who I believe have exposed their limitations by playing deserve respect, though. They're willingly spending a month on the road during their offseason playing a style and with rules and against competition that are all different from what they're used to. And they are expected not just to win, but to dominate. And that's even though the days of the USA having, without question, the best players in the world being clearly over. Now, I know if some of you are still under the illusion that anytime we lose, it's because, well, we didn't really care enough, or our best players didn't go, or some other excuse. It's time, it's time for those of you who still believe that to wake up. Our depth of talent is unrivaled. But if we're talking about the absolute best players in the world or the best teams, we've got competition. Stiff competition. Just look at who's winning MVP in the NBA. It was a battle among foreign players. And when I talk about team, 
I mean the ability to play the game as a unit and overcome a variety of challenges. I just had a, a coach who worked in the uh, U.S. team national program. He's coached in it before. And he said he made the case that Eurobasket, the Eurobasket competition, might just be the toughest tournament in the world. Not the NBA playoffs, which he has experienced, but Eurobasket because of what you're asked to do, the number of games that you're asked to play against varying competition in varying venues. We'll get to that a little bit later when we get into what qualifies as being a world champion. But just look at who's winning MVP and competing for MVP in the NBA. We're talking about Jokic, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid, which if we want to say, okay, he was developed in the U.S., still from Cameroon. Who was the top NBA player competing for MVP? Maybe Steph Curry? Luka Doncic was in there. It's all, it's all Europeans. So it's about time that we stop thinking that the game is completely ours and it's ours for the taking if we so choose. I still believe there's an avenue for us to win, Team, U- Team USA that is, to win, to win gold and to win gold consistently. But it's by no means a foregone conclusion, nor should it be a surprise when it doesn't happen. The NBA game is so bastardized now into an individualistic sport that having to play against international teams that cut and move and constantly create for each other is a shock to the system. As much as we think that the NBA game is athletic, again, had the same assistant coach who has worked in the national program, who is, has extensive experience coaching internationally, said, one, the international game he thinks is more entertaining, and two, it is faster. That's right. It's faster. Not because of the speed of the players, but because of the speed of the game. The speed with which everybody on the floor is moving. The speed with which the ball moves and decisions are made. It's only 10 minutes a quarter versus 12, but guys are absolutely gassed after six, seven minutes. That's why. NBA players, gassed after six or seven minutes. Now, some of you, as well as some of my media brethren, as well as some NBA players, took issue with U.S. sprinter Noah Lyles, who, after winning a gold medal at the track and field world championships in Budapest, Hungary, just in the last week or so, said that it bothers him that NBA champions are referred to as world champions. He is, by all rights, rightfully called a world champion. Now, I don't know that this fight needed to be picked, but I understand what he's saying, and I tend to agree with him. Don't tell me that the best players in the world play in the NBA as evidence that he's wrong. Don't tell me the Denver Nuggets or any NBA championship team would beat any foreign team as evidence that he's wrong. The fact is, you can't win an NBA championship unless you're a team in the NBA. NBA champions don't have to compete on neutral soil. No, they get to compete for a championship 
against opponents they've seen all year on floors they're from, they've familiarized themselves with all year. You can't say that about anyone else who is declared a world champion, that they get to play all of their games against familiar competition on their home soil. That's one of the greatest distinctions in saying that you're a world champion. You don't have to face all of the challenges that a true world champion would have to face and overcome. Those of you who have never faced foreign competition in anything, and I say that only because I have played international games, went on some international soccer tours when I was in high school, trained over in Germany when I was in college. Those of you who've never experienced that, uh, playing and competing against a player or team whose style and training and tactics are completely foreign to you, can't possibly understand the mental and physical challenge that poses. And I don't say that, uh, I don't mean to say that in a condescending way. I'm just saying it's something you've probably never considered, but it is a very real thing. Proving that you can adapt and adjust and overcome all that unfamiliarity and win is part of what makes being a true world champion so special. It's what we love about watching the World Cup in soccer in particular because you have all of these various styles coming together and playing on a, a neutral site for the most part. Every once in a while, a home, uh, a, a host team is one of the better teams. But for the most part, it's about overcoming the neutrality of the situation and varying opponents, which is not the case in the NBA now. Everybody, almost everybody plays the same. Wasn't always that way, but it is more now more than, than it ever has. So proving that you can adapt and adjust and overcome all that unfamiliarity and win is part of what makes being a true world champion so special. I'm fairly certain the Nuggets could beat Real Madrid or Cheska Moscow or Partizan or Maccabi. But when we're handing out titles like world champions, it needs to be proved. I realize we're in an age now where we just anoint guys and teams as champions and all-time greats and make grand pronouncements about who players are and where they deserve to be ranked all-time based on statistics, based on highlights, based on uh, singular performances. They don't actually have to win that title to be said, to have it said, oh, but if they were just in another circumstance, they would have been a champion. You, you know what I'm talking about. We had Penny Hardaway or Tracy McGrady that if they had taken Kobe Bryant's place with the Lakers, they could have won championships too. They don't actually have to go and do it, prove it in any way, come anywhere close to it. Tracy McGrady, Tracy McGrady never won a playoff series, but that didn't matter. If he had just been with the Lakers, then he would have done the same as Kobe. It's so it's so insulting, to be honest with you, to the guys who have actually done it. That they don't have to. We have now guys who don't have to prove it. They just need to do something that allows us to extrapolate that they could do it. That seems to be enough. And as I said, it's an insult to 
all the players over time who actually went and got it done and then were anointed as great, as champions. It's also not fair to the guys who competed and fell short for whatever reason because not all of them are being anointed as guys that could have been champions. Even if they came closer to actually winning that championship than the guys that we say, well, if they were just in another circumstance, they would have been champions. I just saw a story with the tagline, now that Anthony Edwards, who's on Team USA, the Minnesota Timberwolves forward, now that he's developed Jordan's signature mid-post spin to the baseline jumper, he's unguardable. It's stupid pronouncements like that that make me want to put my fist through a wall. No, Anthony Edwards hasn't perfected that shot because he made it over Dennis Schroeder in an exhibition against Germany. And no, now he isn't unguardable, period. Does he have the size, speed, strength, and overall skill to be unguardable? Yes, a lot of guys have over the years. And that's different. He's not unguardable because in no way has he proved to be unguardable against the best competition over any period of time. If he was anywhere close to unguardable, the Timberwolves wouldn't have been bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Is he unguardable because he averaged 31.5 points against the Nuggets in that first round series that they lost in five games? Michael Jordan averaged more than that in the postseason eight times times. What are we talking about? And don't get me wrong. I like Anthony Edwards. I like his spirit. He is unbelievably talented. I expect that he's only scratched the surface of his talent. I'm actually thinking about doing a piece on how his motor was questioned going into the draft and why scouts got that impression and how he's lived it down. But man, He isn't even on the same planet as Jordan as far as decision-making and knowing how to score. He can't identify how and when to attack as well as at least at least a half dozen guys in the league right now. Do we have a dozen guys who are unguardable in the league right now? And if we do, then being unguardable really isn't such a big deal. Devin Booker is more unstoppable as a scorer than Anthony Edwards. And we need not even get into the Steph Currys and Luka Doncic's. Edwards hasn't always made great decisions in World Cup play against the likes of New Zealand, Greece, and Jordan. And I'm supposed to buy that he's now unguardable against everybody. Please, can we stop this? Please. The World Cup, by the way, current competition, is not seen in the same light as the Olympics by NBA players. But I truly wish and hope that Grant Hill and the national team directors take the same approach to building every national team that they took to build this one. Selecting star players whose main interest is adding a gold medal to their resumes is an approach that needs to be abandoned. I'm fully aware that the national team is a tool for promoting the NBA globally. And in case you didn't know, the national team is a tool for promoting the NBA globally. But at this point, there are so many NBA players playing for various countries. Some even like Eric Gordon and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson who have never lived in the countries they're representing, or at least I'm pretty sure they haven't. 
that I question the necessity of still using Team USA as a promotional tool for the NBA. You got enough players from every country representing the NBA in competition around the globe. This World Cup team is a joy to watch because it is not like the typical NBA team whose success hinges on dominating performances from a handful of stars or getting a collection of stars to sublimate their egos and their games in order to play together and find a high level of efficiency. Through the first two games, the second unit of this World Cup team has actually been the difference. Coming in and making plays for each other without a thought about anything other than creating easy baskets for each other and playing collective aggressive team defense. The effort, the hustle plays have been truly gratifying to watch. And they've been needed. While both games, both against New Zealand and Greece, wound up with sizable margins of victory, they were the result of wearing down the opponent after falling behind early. Now, I chalk up the early deficits to the fact that two of the U.S. starters, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Ingram, are probably the least adept players on the squad at playing the international game. If you've been streaming the games as I have, you probably are not getting that from the announcers. The announcers are playing very nice. They're not, they're not looking at this team critically at all. They've only got compliments. But if you want to be real about what's going on, then we need to compliment the players that are playing well in the international game and be realistic and fair and honest with the ones who are not. Now, when it comes to Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Ingram, I came to that conclusion after the first two games. And clearly the coaching staff saw the same thing, replacing Ingram in the starting lineup with Josh Hart. That's both a chemistry move and best fit talent-wise. Hart being a far better wing playing alongside Nick's teammate Jalen Brunson than Ingram. Because with Anthony Edwards out there, Brunson's ability to score, the variety of players that they have with their ability to score, you needed you don't need a scorer, honestly. You need somebody who's going to be able to make shots and do all the dirty work. Josh Hart, I believe, had 12 rebounds in that game. That's what they need. I'm not sure that Ing, uh, Ingram has had more than three, even though he's much bigger than Hart. That's the difference. That's making a decision based on chemistry and playing winning basketball. And there was no slow start against Jordan. Team USA took a 15-2 lead and never looked back. Now, granted, Jordan is not the caliber of New Zealand or Greece, but forget the scoreboard. Team USA just looked more fluid. I almost got the sense that in the first two games, Brunson felt an obligation to try to get the ball to Ingram when he was in the starting lineup rather than letting the action determine who should get the ball or shoot. And I understand why he would do that. Because if Ingram's not scoring, then he's really not contributing a whole lot. Not at a high level. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I got some pushback when I balked at Jackson Jr. being named Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA last season. Largely because... I thought he won it on his statistical achievement. He led the league with three blocked shots a game for a Memphis Grizzlies team that was third, if I'm not mistaken, defensively overall. And I thought that those voting for him failed to take into account the foul trouble and overreacting that his attempts to swat shots caused. For anyone who might have missed seeing that during the regular season, If you tuned in to the New Zealand and Greece games, you saw the exact same thing. The first two games provided ample evidence that the Kiwis and Grecians recognized the same tendencies and took advantage of them. And how can the best defensive player in the NBA be the one consistently targeted for his sketchy pick-and-roll coverage? I found Ingram's complaint that he was struggling with the role that coach Steve Kerr wanted or wanted him to play as understandable, but still disconcerting. Ingram said this when he was still starting. He's struggling because if he doesn't have the ball, his effectiveness is severely limited. Well, that's not Kerr's fault. Ingram is not such a gifted scorer that his ability in that department makes up for what he can't do. Or the Team USA would be better off force-feeding him the ball. Now, I believe one of the reasons that Ingram got a misconception about what his role was going to be is that early on in the uh, lead-up games, the exhibitions, there was a game where they fed Ingram a lot. He got a lot of shots. He got a lot of touches. And maybe he was under the impression this is the way it was going to be throughout the tournament. And then he found out different and was struggling with that discovery. Shouldn't have been a surprise, but maybe it was. I found it extremely telling that when Kerr went to his bench in the first two games, the last player subbed out was Mikael Bridges. Not Anthony Edwards, not Jalen Brunson, Mikael Bridges. And that again is a reflection of who is best on the team being a complete player at both ends, which reflects what the priorities and the emphasis is for this team and the selection and coaching of it. I would argue that after the first two games, if the starting lineup was based on who the most effective players are, Paolo Bencaro would start in place of Jackson and Austin Reeves would take Ingram's spot. Now, there's a variety of reasons why you'd still start Jackson, uh, largely because he's he's more of a rim protector than Bencaro is. And with Jalen Brunson on the floor, that makes a lot of sense. But Bancaro and Reeves have demonstrated a chemistry and versatility that Jackson and Ingram simply don't have, particularly playing off of each other. I'd even consider starting Tyrese Halliburton over Jalen Brunson if it weren't for Brunson's leadership and keen ability to organize the team and control the tempo and just his, his maturity. You just you get the feeling watching the team that everyone looks at him as a leader and a steadying influence. Halliburton is very good, but he's still 
he's still a little young in the in his approach to the game. Uh, has not has played well. I'm not taking anything away from him, but I understand why they would stay with Jalen. Jalen's weakness, which I've seen no one willing to mention, and again, the broadcasters were really being just honest and open and seeing, or maybe they don't see it, but telling you what is going on. They would have pointed out that opponents have been targeting Brunson on defense with a fair amount of success. It's not that Brunson isn't playing hard. It's just size-wise, they found matchups. That's one of the, that's one of the places they've gone to exploit him and Jaron Jackson. Uh, I loved Halliburton, by the way, saying that when you wear the Team USA uniform, you're playing for something bigger than you. It was the exact opposite of Ingram complaining that his he was struggling with his role, as if there was a role that that everybody's role isn't fungible when you're playing for Team USA, that it's about how do we play the best game possible, not who gets to play. And Halliburton not only said it, he's played like it, exuding a joy at everything from his no-look passes to celebrations of teammates' buckets or big plays that honestly is reminiscent of Magic Johnson. That kind of effervescence, that kind of palpable joy that makes everybody feel good now before i wrap up i want to talk about mizzen and main it's fashionable men's clothing made from performance wear material it's easy peasy to take care of you wash it cold wash hang dry wear no need to iron i mean you can use a light touch now and then at the most if you don't hang it or whatever uh, but I can't tell you the last time I had to iron any of my mizzen and main gear. And I've told you about the comfort and stylish fit of their joggers and that their dress shirts are the only ones that I wear on air. But I also want to plug their t-shirts and their chinos and their polar shirts. What I love about the t-shirts is that they are stylish enough that I can wear them out for a casual dinner, but don't need any special care. The chinos and polo shirts I've been wearing on the golf course and they could not be more comfortable. Form-fitting, but very flexible, and, as I said, very stylish. And the sweat-wicking material means that there are no unsightly sweat stains, no matter how your round is going, which, the way I've been playing lately, has been very important. Mizzen and Main, M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. And when you order... Use the promo code BUCHER, my last name, B-U-C-H-E-R, numeral 3-5, and you'll get $35 off on your first order. Mizzen and Maine. Go check them out. All right, as I said, Anthony Edwards has also received a fair amount of praise via social media, most likely because of his highlight plays and box score line. And he is, without question, the most dynamic player on Team USA. But he's also been a contributor to the slow starts, forcing plays and turning the ball over or getting stuck attempting contested shots. And overall, it's been remarkable watching such gifted players, Ingram, Edwards among them, who are both accustomed to taking two steps before putting the ball on the floor and finding out that 
you're not allowed to do that in the international game. You can take a step, ball's got to hit the floor before you take the next one. It's called differently. And they've been repeatedly called for it and have struggled to make the adjustment. And I want to say that watching Reeves and Brunson, I think Brunson, I've seen Brunson get called for it once, but for the most part, Reeves and Brunson have not had the same issue attacking off the bounce. And I don't know that anyone else has, to be honest. It was also fascinating to watch both New Zealand and Greece create easy shots simply by testing Team USA's collective discipline to stay connected defensively and deal with constant ball and player movement. The ball does not get stuck the way we're accustomed to seeing in the NBA, and it has been effective. These teams, in terms of pure talent, they cannot match up with Team USA, and yet they have been competitive and have taken early leads. And as someone who loves the game, I appreciate that. I appreciate being able to watch the collective accomplish something that the individuals could not. And I'm getting some of that from Team USA to, as well. If they are going to win this all, then they are going to have to have more of that. The, the opponents that they play, and I don't know that there's going to be any, any teams that have the same shot-making ability individually across the board. And yet, New Zealand, Greece, both found ways to consistently score, especially against the first Team USA's first unit. Now, as I said, I've been speaking to someone who is coached in the U.S. national team program, and he said he's not sure if this team is capable of winning it all, but that he's enjoyed watching them play as much or more than any previous national team. And I share that sentiment. I don't know how far they're going to go, but I love the way they're composed. I love the way that they're playing. And I believe that it is going to and should be used, the national team program that is, to enhance and develop the young stars of the NBA so that they elevate the level of play in the NBA. That's where we are now. The NBA game needs improvement. Team USA, the dream team, the NBA, uh, infused coaching and, and, uh, and tactics and skills, elevated games internationally, traveling, competing, the dream team showing what, what the game is capable of. Well, now it's coming around. Now it's time that the NBA refreshes its game by utilizing international competition to raise the level of play in the NBA. Hope to see it. I believe we are. But this is just a start. I hope it continues. All right, that does it for this episode of on the ball on United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And I would say in the next podcast, we got there's a couple of subjects out there. I've been doing a little bit of background work on why Giannis Antetokounmpo said what he said about his possibly leaving Milwaukee or at least opening the door a crack to that conceivably happening, something that he's never done before, and 
the timing is striking. I want to get into why we might possibly be seeing it, what it means, is it real, all of that. We also got Team USA now getting into, they're out of, out of the group play, and now we're getting into the elimination phase of the tournament. There will be more games to watch. I will watch them for you, and I will report back to let you know how things are going and what we should take away from all that is transpiring over in Asia. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.